our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We've got a great episode for you, especially this time of year. We've got Mr. Freddie King joining us. He is a duck killing machine. He's a duck dog trainer. He's hunted for the last, I'm trying to do the math in my head, he was 13 years old, uh, 30-something years of duck hunting. Man knows how to shoot a duck. Man knows how to hunt ducks and train dogs for duck hunting. And we hammered on so many different topics to get you and your dog prepared for duck season. Things to think about, things to do more of, things to do less of, reasons to just enjoy the moment out in the field with your dog. Freddie crushed it, and I'm super excited to share this with you, so stay tuned. But first, do me a favor, hit us up on patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It's the community for you all. We built this platform so that we could help you train your dog a little bit more, a little bit better, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Every other week, we do a happy hour where we can crank a couple beer skis, talk dogs, talk duck hunting, and help get you on your way with your dog. Bunch of unseen videos, bunch of good content on there for you. But first, you got to check out patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Next up, from the duck blind to the holding blind. It's that pop 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 arena, baby. It's the food that fuels the truck alone duck. We feed that 30-20 to the big dogs and the large breed puppy to the little dogs. Purina Pro Plant Sport. Nailed it. Next up, dog tree collars. In my back pocket, in my hand, on their neck. All day long, basically. Dog truck. Best customer service in the game. Check them out at Dogtra Official on Instagram. Tell them we sent you, baby. Next up, man's best kennel. Gunner Kennels, that is. 
They've got a bunch of limited edition colors coming out, baby. They got the new water bowl. They got the new 2.0 fan. They're continuously innovating the products that keep our dogs safe when we're rolling down the road and all the little apparatuses. Great word for the podcast. Probably first time I've ever said it. Apparatus to keep your dog in tune. Check them out at Gunner Kennels. And if you want to get into one, slide into the DMs, baby. Next up, Shooter Shoot. <clears throat> that Kent Cartridge on the old Instagrams. Check them out. Bismuth coming around the corner duck season. It got me fired up talking to Freddie, thinking about rolling some Drake Millards. I, d- I just love talking ducks. Dude, he is, it's, it's he's so the man. Good. He's the man, but it gets me fired up to be shooting that old Kent cartridge. Next up, Mr. and Mrs. Standing Stone Kennels. That's got to be our new intro. Mr. and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Standing Stone Kennels coming at you live. Live. Listen, Standing Stone Supply. If you're looking for e-collars, launchers for your bumpers and anything you can think of to train a bird dog or retriever they got you outfitted at standingstonesupply.com you can use the promo code lone duck l-o-n-e-d-u-c-k save a little bit of doski on your order ski i walked in bob's house tonight and said man look at this collar where'd you get this one memphis had a beautiful looking collar on Got it from Ethan and Cat. Standing Stone Supply, baby. Mr. and Mrs. Yep. The old Mr. and Mrs. Standing Stone themselves. Check them out. Next up, shush, 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 if you got them, baby. Traeger Grills. Traeger. We rocked it tonight, bud. Shout out to my boy, Richie. I don't know if he's listening right now or if he fast forwarded, but Richie and Yeti, dogs I trained this year, uh, uh richie killed an elk and brought us some loins and we we literally cooked it in 20 minutes and ate it as fast as we could to get on the podcast on time but we ate elk but there's ten- still a little slab dude oh yeah we're done done eating i'm going back down yeah. to eat more. elk tenderloins what i did is i put it on my cast iron skillet whap whap both sides got it good and skilleted I don't know what the word is. What do they call it? Seared? Seared. Good. Well, skilleted is now my new word. Mm-hmm. I skilled it. And then I put it on the Traeger to finish off in the old smoky smoke. And, man, it was delightful. And I'm telling you, when I'm saying delightful, <whistles> boom, baby. Next up, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Keep us in, in tune with you and you in tune with us. All right, guys, get ready. Mr. Freddie King. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. Well, uh, Freddie King, I uh, was born in Southern Louisiana. I lived down there probably till we was probably 10 or 12. That's where I cut my roots uh, in the waterfowl. Uh, that's where I learned a whole lot about duck hunting on the Chapelier River Basin, a whole bunch of bodies, backwaters. When we was about 13, we mo- or when I was about 13, we moved up to Central Arkansas, uh, Dad, he, he and mom met at LSU. Dad's from Central Arkansas, and mom's from Southern Louisiana. So, uh, one side we got uh, uh, what we call 
a Cajun uh, chicken farmer mix. So I, I, I'm kind of <laughs> strange. But anyway, but no, I mean, been in Central Arkansas now since I was 13. So, you know, uh, about 40 years there. Uh, this is when it comes to timber hunting, this is the place to be. And that's what we kind of grew up. I've always duck hunted, but this is where it all really, really sunk in, you know, here in central Arkansas, but got into dogs. Oh golly, probably 25, 30, uh, about 35 years ago. And, you know, we've always had dogs, always had decent, we thought decent retrievers until, you know, finally you actually see a really strong working dog. And I mean, I, and it's 35, 33, 35 years ago. And I was like, holy smokes, man, look at that dog. He blew that whistle and that dog stopped. Did y'all see that? But anyway, <laughs> things just kind of graduated from there. So I've been in the outdoor industry for, oh, ever since I got out of high school, started filming stuff uh, way back when uh, Harold and Knight were just far, first getting started. Done a lot of outdoor television shows uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera and stuff for Oh, 25 years. So I've been, I've been around the block quite a bit. I've had passports stamped out in Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, New Zealand, Africa, uh, you name it, Mexico, uh, Canada, probably 15, 20 times. So I've done a little bit of this and that, but like uh, I'm no pro at anything. I'm just kind of a mediocre at everything. <laughs> I I appreciate the humbleness, but I disagree. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the the first way I found out about you was, man, if I'm 35, I was probably 16. So I'm not good at math, but that's close to 15 years ago or or 10. I don't know. I, like I said, I'm bad at math. 10 years ago? No, that'd be 25. Mm-hmm. 15. Yeah, 15 or so years ago when you were filming for super or not super juicers, but ducks unlimited is water dog TV and you oh, had water a, dog TV, Justin yep. Tackett and Shannon Nardi love them to death. Yep. And you did an episode talking about your old dog. Um, I can't remember her name right now. I want to say it was Dixie or teal, something like that. Teal. And this I'm and going I 15 years. Yeah, and she had, teal. she was blind in an eye. Mm-hmm. She got lymphoma and went blind in one eye and yeah, actually died it on the edge of, on the riverbanks of the Cache River, you know, making her last retreat and that you know, pretty strong stuff. Yeah. But I mean, you stuck with me for that amount of time. And that story of that dog stuck with me for that amount of time to, you know this is the first time we've actually really ever spoke. We met one time real brief at a super retriever series in Arkansas, but it was brief Mm. and I'm sure you wouldn't remember me from that, but I'll never forget you telling Teal's story. And so if you don't mind, maybe tell us a little bit about that dog and what made her special. Well, I mean, Teal, you know, she was just one of the, she was out of lean back. She was bred to the gills and probably one of my second or third strongest dogs to ever own and and she's just she's just one of those dogs that was made would make any trainer look good one of those dogs that you showed her something click you showed her something click and just you know no issues just breeze through training except for 
her nemesis was a triple. <laughs> She'd sit through any double, any time, anywhere. But boy, when that third bird come out, she was gone. It took us about about three masters, me picking her up, telling her no, not letting her in. About four finish tests before finally said, you know what? I better sit here or I don't ever get to finish test. <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty, you know, and, and that's that's one of the things about her. She'd work great for anybody and and was just a pleasure to be around. Uh, she gave you 100% all the time, sometimes 150%, which, you know, was great, too. And some of the things that dog did on camera, you know, I'm, I've done a ton of filming for the Echo Calls guys and uh, BB Arkansas, Rick Dunn. And she really showed out on video, you know, hard charging in the timber. You getting that neat stuff. I mean, she split the water, but she was just one of those dogs that no matter what made everything easy. The way she trained, she showed her one concept. She had it. And I mean, and literally after, you know, we finally got over that issue of watching all the birds down. I mean, she clicked through her masters and clicked through her finish like it wasn't nothing. And just one of those great dogs, we got started getting ready to run the grand. And that's, of course, when she got lymphoma. And, you know, it wasn't too long after that, we, that you know, she passed. So, but she passed doing what she loved and led to other great dogs, that sort of thing. One thing about it is, uh, like Chris Aiken says, they're not supposed to last forever because that makes you just uh, care for them, love them, and want another one just just that much more so it's a great thing yeah couldn't agree more couldn't agree more it's tough watching them get old and it's tough losing them before their time no matter what even no when doubt. they are old you still feel like you wish you had more time but exactly yeah it's actually funny my dad he he came out today and they have my old dog the one who got me in the game uh um quick backstory just so everyone can understand why I don't have them still when I came home and opened up my own shingles and being a dog trainer we had so many young six-month-old dogs with this seven-year-old and he had now lived all over all over the place with me living out of the truck whatever it is and he just was getting old and started becoming ornery and he took a chunk out of someone's butt that was a client and I said, mom, and he was losing weight like crazy. And I said, mom and dad, you know, he's just not happy here. You know, I can't give him a home. I can't afford a home. I can't even afford an apartment. You know, I was basically living in a kennel warehouse with, you know, seven dogs that are six months old and he's just unhappy. Can you take him for a little while? Sure. So. They took him for a little while and it turned into the second half of his life, really. And uh, so dad brought him over today and we threw him a couple marks and he's, you know, hobbling his old butt out there and, you know, can kind of barely balance himself. But he was on cloud nine going and getting a mallard duck, you know, from a four wheeler mark at 20 yards, <laughs> like, it, like it was 120 or 220. And he was proud as hell. And, and I just, I'll love that dog forever. And, but, uh, yeah, to the point is they never live long enough for sure. 
but you had quickly mentioned that she was the top three dogs that you've had. Can you tell us about the other two? Well, I mean, you know, when, when I say top three, and, I, and I'm judging them from for for memories, you know what I mean? And sure. maybe not their their scholastic and campaigning abilities, but I mean, there's no doubt that uh, that a dog that followed Teal, dog named Buck, he comes in at number two, and I mean, just just super strong dog a ton of echo videos he's on several several outdoor television shows and he's just one of those dogs that that you could well you could just take everywhere and be proud of him you know he he didn't he wasn't aggressive you just barely knew he was there you said his name he was gone you could run two and three four hundred yard blinds past ducks flopping in the decoys he'd never check up just keep holding that line drive straight and just you know he was just one of those dogs and uh the top dog being of course the guy i have right now at the house thief uh and he has just been you know you i thought when i had to i said you know you always have that dog of a lifetime you always said you get one dog you know what i mean that sort of thing and and of course i've had a lot of great dogs but Hill, I thought that. Then Buck, you know, when he passed, man, there, there's my dog, you know, that's it. And then Thief now, you know, he's uh, 900 and, uh, let me, uh, I think he's 965 points. And he likes another, basically, 35 points to have his uh, uh, Hall of Fame. You know, he's got all the grand passes and all he needs is, is, uh, three more finished passes and he'll have his hardest bank but awesome. he has so far been number one i mean as far as, and it's not the campaigning and everything that he's done that hunt tests and stuff that's great whatever but that dog at the house you never know he's there he you put him in the truck he curls up in the back seat he only weighs about 61 62 pounds he's small he doesn't take up any room and he gives you a hundred and fifty percent every single time. So, you know, I've been fortunate, blessed to have a lot of great dogs. And and I'm not going to, you know, we got three. Asia, she is a kick butt dog lover to death. And that's Tina's dog. And I mean, she's a, a a beast of an animal. And little old Teat, you know, she lives in the house too. Now, Asia and Teat right now, I've dropped them off at Chris Aiken. They're getting ready to run the the fall grand and master nationals uh thief i kept him out we're just going to finish up his thousand points and he's done his deal and we're going to we're you know we're going to call it good but h and t we're going to campaign them just a little bit more and they're awesome dogs don't get me wrong they're they're right up there two three four five six seven eight whatever i love them all the same but Right now, Thief is the man, you know. I mean, <laughs> he and, and he lets me know it, too, because uh, he don't care about anybody else but me. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's cool. That's really cool. Where did you get Thief from? Thief, I bought uh, – I had – there was two dogs. Uh, a, a real good friend of mine, South Carolina, done a real nice breeding and I bought this pup at seven weeks of age. And then Chris Aiken had a, 
uh, a pup out of Slick and Black Betty. Man, I love both those dogs, and everybody knows Slick. Mm-hmm. Well, I bought that pup. Thief. Well, I had named one of them Thud, and I named the other one Thief. So I just started training them. I had Thud and Thief, and I just I just kept training them and training them, training them. And I, and, and I worked them and stuff. And about the eight month period, somewhere right up in there. I mean, it was real hard. Both the dogs had great characteristics. They had great, great training ability. They were progressing awesomely very very biddable but thief in the house was just a lot more laid back still gave you i mean his off and on switch was just awesome and i could really tell that he bonded to me a lot better than thud did so uh i ended up selling keeping thief and sold thud to a guy named dale mcbride and just to tell you how awesome thud was uh, uh, put his master and got his grand and all that kind of mess. So I mean, both dogs and you know, both dogs are the dogs. It's just, just one kind of fit me better. And that's old beef. So there you go. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> you know, some for some folks that maybe listen to this and they're like, well, if both were good, how do you sell them, right? And and so many people get that one dog, maybe two. And they deal with quirks and they deal with, you know, things that they like and don't like and, and it's their dog and they love them no matter what. But for us, you know, we, we can only own so many and we also make a living buying, selling, flipping, training dogs. Right. And, you know, sometimes if they may still, like you said, thud still became a master hunter and an hrc you know he still had a great campaigning career and good hunting dog and everything fits the mold for that person but for you there was just something special about thief that made him stay when the other one was able to be sent to someone else who loves them and hunts them and campaigns them so yeah you can't keep them all if you do what we do no, boy, and I tell you what, that's one thing I battle with peanut, you know, <laughs> and that's how we got Asian, that's how we got Asian, and that's how we got teeth, you know, she just, golly, she's going to win the argument, you know, yeah. she, she sticks to it, she's going to win the argument, she'll put her foot down, so, but, but, and that's right now with Spanky, you know, I mean, she's wanting to keep that dog, and he's a <laughs> nice pup up, but, you know, golly, you can only do so much, you know, and, I'm, and, and there comes a point to where, you know, you, you won't take them all hunt, but you can't. You can only take one dog at time hunting. That's all there is to it. And it's just you're trying to, you know, bide your time between each of them equally. And, of course, somebody always gets left out and that sort of thing. But, sure. but, sure. but Peanut, I swear to you, if we could have 25, she'd have 25. She'd have me buy probably half the dogs that we get in for training. Because, yeah. I mean, she gets that attached to them. Well, that's good, too, though. I mean that helps when, when the going gets tough and it's raining out and you don't feel like doing it and you still got a ton of love for them, you know, then it makes life a little easier. So I think that that's a good thing, but, but yeah, sometimes they just got to go to someone else that will love them and hunt them and, and give them what they need. That's it. That's it. So you also are a a retriever trainer, you know, on top of all the other awesome things that you do in the outdoor industry 
you just like me, you got a string of dogs and, and go out to work every day, training dogs. Tell me about the, the process of you becoming a, a trainer and where it's led you in life and, and the pros and cons. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 to back up, and I'm not bragging whatsoever, but I did. We had a pretty strong construction company back in the day that afforded me the ability to actually go and do a lot of what I considered my hobbies, which was filming. And uh, it started off filming, but of course I had a love for retrievers so and waterfowling. So I did a lot of waterfowl shows, uh, Final Approach TV. I mean, that's 30 years ago. I've done a ton of stuff with uh, 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 Waterfowler TV, then Water Dog TV. And everything kind of got more and more geared toward retrievers and you know then boom next thing you know super retriever series popped up and i was the main camera guy in the back i was the guy that you know set everything up to make sure that all the cameras got what they needed and shannon you know she 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 bid me to do it right and make sure we got everything so and let alone i was running the super retriever series too and but i love to film it so much that i kind of slid away from that and and started filming but that the the the, the company i sold it and then i started kind of just doing a lot of filming and and kind of just slowly slid into a little bit more and more of the dog oriented tv shows and sticking with the super retriever series and just one thing kind of led to another i got to travel around and be in the hip pocket and behind the scenes of a lot of pro trainers i'm talking about a lot of pro trainers the farming the farmers the uh eggets the 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 top nuts guys watch dogs like nike run and and just uh, a plethora of knowledge was thrown at me and of course i was going to seminars lardy and all this i was trying to educate myself even as a away from what i was doing with the camera sure and really trying to better myself and you know all of it just kind of compounded together and uh, the love for retrievers love for waterfowling it just kind of all of it just meshed to where all about 15, 16, almost, well, I guess about 17 years ago, I started kind of taking dogs uh, professionally. So, you know, started, as soon as you charge, you're a professional. That's all there is to it, you know, sure. even though they're buddies and all that kind of mess. And, and then it's just kind of just compounded and compounded and compounded. But had it not been for a lot of the guys early, you know, the what I consider the iconic folks in the, the games and stuff, you know, they're the ones that afforded and gave me the ability to understand training and, and have a whole lot of different looks at ways to train and not just be so hard-headed to one different type of method or style and kind of mold myself to a, a genre of styles and using a little bit of this and a little bit of that and adding some stuff. And, and that's kind of how the retriever trainer TRT came about and it's just just a lot of knowledge from a lot of different directions and taking what's good here and there and just kind of molding things 
then put my own little twist to it. And what I've found works great across a, a huge spectrum of dogs from the hardcore meat dog to a dog that, you know, is going to go and run the grand, the master nationals, and then on to, you know, running field trials. So sure. it's tell just, everybody uh, about TRT for me. Well, I mean, the retriever trainer is, uh, it's kind of funny. Oh, about, about eight or nine years ago, being a camera guy and an editor and producer and blah, blah, blah. I had kind of approached, I approached uh, the HRC, the mother club, hunt retrieve club that to build a website that soon as you became a member, you joined and, you know, anytime you join the HRC, you, you know, you log in and all that kind of mess. Well, I was going to build, I wanted to build them. All they had to do was pay for my travel expenses and they didn't have to pay none of my time behind the camera, none of my time for editing, anything like that. All I had to do was, was just, just make sure I wasn't out any money as far as my travel expenses and stuff. And I would go travel around and I'd film all these different pros from puppies all the way. And I'd build a website for the hunt and retrieval club. And, and then anybody, anytime anybody joined the club and you logged in, boom, you'd had it back. Just well, I messed around for a couple of years with them and they just would never, they, they never bid on it. Never. So I said, you know what? I'm fixing to do this myself then. So that's what I did. I wanted something that was extremely affordable, something that was covered everything possible and a lot of different methods of training. And so the retriever trainer, that's, that's how it got started. And I just, I, I just put everything together and, and you can watch 15 different dogs go through force pets. You can watch, you know, five or six different dogs uh, doing power work. You can watch, you know, the, you get to see a ton of different dogs, ton of different characters, a ton of different methods and, and, and the ways that you react to the dog and, and the way you change your attitudes and stuff for every dog, you know, stuff that you can't see stuff that takes forever to learn to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of dogs, but you're able to see, a lot of different characters. I mean, there's so many people that would say, man, I was looking at this dog on force fetch and, and, and she, she's just like my dog. So I started falling. And then another guy might send me a message, man, this dog right here being forced to pile is just like bank. So I backed up and kind of did a soft, you know, and it's, it's giving people the ability to jump around instead of staying single handed in a direction that, you know, a lot of, a lot of methods out there, kind of platform you need to do yeah if i'm 100 and by the way you're the og at it you know you were the pioneer of this idea and now there's a dozen and and we're rolling a force fetch one out here in the next probably month or so you know you you're the first guy that said i'm gonna put this out there people can pay a subscription they can get knowledge from me and, and your, you've got other people that join you on it that are your community members and like leaders in our industry for sure. And, and you're helping people teach their own dogs. If you can't train it and if I can't train it and Chris can't train it and these people want to do it on their own, they can go to you 
and watch and learn and see it all. And you were the pioneer of it. It's, it's fantastic. You've helped thousands of people. Well, it's been, it's been a labor of love. And, and in all honesty, you know, I get probably 75 to 125 messages a day and, uh, uh, both email and through Facebook messenger and stuff, which is the main platform that we use other than the website that, I 100% help every single member as much as needed to get through. I mean, 100%, you send a message, I'm answered. I'm helping you, if, helping you develop uh, new setups, new new uh, uh, drills or work a drill from a different angle to help with issues. And and I'm 100% behind each member like that. As long, as long as they'll message me and get with me, I'm there. And what's great is we have such, like you said, a community of like-minded people with the goal of making sure that you and your pup can turn into the very best team possible. And they're all, there's so much positivity, you know, there's Facebook so negative as it is. And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, those guys help me a lot and they're all so positive but there's there's a lot of retrievers you know not i hate to say this but there's a lot of other other uh pages and groups out there that you see a lot of negative negativity and that sort of thing and i won't stand for it uh we're all in this we're all on an equal level training ground <laughs> so nobody's more. better no tips and and you know and and, and and we're all there to make sure that you and your pup become the very best team. And that's that's what it's about. And, I mean, it's a lot of people want to make training into this great big, you know, hard brain kind of science or whatever and all that. And it, it ain't that. It's just simple steps and understanding progression and, and just kind of how a pup, you know, how a dog's mind thinks and small steps, you know, yeah. a lot of attrition and just taking your time. Yep. I couldn't agree more, but again, uh, the kudos is, is being the first guy business wise. And, you know, it had to have been in, to some respects, like an emotional decision, not just business, but an emotional decision to say, how can I reach more people and help more people? You know, I can only train X amount of dogs a month. And there's so many more people that want to learn, want to do it themselves. And you were the the OG that, that did it and, and helped a ton of people and continue to help a ton of people. So I think it's, it's fantastic. You know, with, with the podcast, you know, we're lucky that we can sort of do the same thing and it feels good. You know, you get, I don't know what you want to call it, but you, you, you just feel good when someone messes. Well, there's a reward to it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely a reward to it. And, you know, and, and it's awesome. Cause I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a hunt test and I've and I've watched dog ranch and man that that dog good that dog that man, man he stomped on that man and get back there and the guy walk up and say hey Freddie this I'm so and so and and I'm a TRT member this is holy smokes you know what I mean I'm like golly I've been talking to you about this dog you know for the last two or three years and here he is watching him you know just smoke and finish or match the test and. Yeah, and just knock it out, and you know, and it does not get any better. The only way it gets any better is, you know, is 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 when your first kids are born. <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? but it sort of feels that way. You're like, I can't believe all this advice worked. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, and people sending me pictures and, and videos and all that, and then, or you know, the, hey man, we got a grand pass. That I mean, that's just it. And you know, the website now, the uh, the retriever trainer is now five years old, and so it's been out there enough, long enough, and it's amazing how many dogs I've been messaged that have past master nationals got plates and how many have got grands and you know they may not have used uh, the retriever trainer solely because you can't do that you know once you get to that level you're looking at a lot of different stuff but they they have let me know that the bulk of the training and and their dog's abilities and their own personal abilities have come from the retriever trainer and that's you know that's that's that carries so much weight and you know, more than enough reward. And, and I'll honestly, I would do the retriever trainer even cheaper if, if it wasn't for the cost of, of, of maintaining the website and keeping, we're always adding video. So with that comes the cost of more and more data storage. Sure. <laughs> yeah. no, I get expensive. it. Everything is. All right. So with that being said, you, you know, first off, so we, we covered that. Now I kind of want to dabble in, you know, the years and you've, you've been hunting ducks since you were 12 years old and you've hunted over, I guess, hundreds of dogs, if not thousands of dogs. What makes a good duck dog? And I'm not talking hunt well, test competitor. I'm not talking field trial champion. I'm talking a dog that you and I go stand in the woods or go sit on a boat or go in a blind and me and you are sitting there and you look at me and you go, Bob, that dog's damn good. Tell me about that well, dog and the characteristics. Well, of course, you know, the, the first and foremost, it's a dog that's quiet. It's a dog that never whines. He's not vocal. I mean, you literally never hear the dog. And it's a dog that no matter what it could be you're standing there you're john you're talking to your buddies y'all ain't seen a duck in the last 45 minutes and you look back there and that dog is just still eating the sky up with its eyeballs you know there ain't been a duck flying the last hour but this dog is still on the hunt you know while you and your buddies y'all giving up that dog that dog is still hunting and those 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 kinds of dogs stand out to me the ones that are super quiet they're always hunting and the only time you know they're there is when you hear their name you know somebody hollers bear boom after you shot boom he's running straight comes back holding the duck locked in on that second bird boom bear and i mean those are the dogs that stand out they're 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 they may not ever be able to blow uh, or run a 150-yard technical blind. They may not be able to do 100-yard multiple march. But when it comes to working a spread of decoys and picking up, uh, you know, uh, uh, eight or ten down mallards in timber and falling behind buck brush and, and knowing how to work, those are the dogs that stand out, you know. They may not even have anything but a started pass, but and I promise you, there's a lot of bad mammoth jammer dogs out there that 
and boss Jonathan Morton's dog boss he hunts with us literally uh, you know he's an echo dog I mean he's one of those dogs he's just a veteran you know of course he didn't start out that way but here's a dog now that's nine years old and by that third season of watching eight to eight hundred to twelve hundred ducks go down I mean he is all he's he ain't got to see he he just hears the plop 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 of birds hitting the water he knows where they're falling he's coming back and i mean he's already spinning you know fixing head that direction he's gonna feather the wind and come back and you just say his name and let him go and uh and those dogs they stand out and it's and they're 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 dogs that have a lot of time hunting they're dogs that that have gotten three to four seasons under their belt and they're they're geared to their type of hunting whether it's timber because I mean, you take Boss; he's a great dog, awesome in the timber. But you know, he's not going to hold it uh, uh, any type of weight against Dingy picking up, you know, three hundred snow geese in a spread in in Saskatchewan. You know, and Dingy, you'll never ever. He's the same way, except for his his genre is up there in in the Canadian prairies. Picking up tons, and I mean, literally, that dog will pick up four or five thousand ducks and geese a year, and he's just—he's at his game. He's the epitome of it, and bosses at his game's epitome of it. And then you go and hunting the Nabra River in, in Nebraska, and there's a dang name that dog is on the tip of my tongue. Uh, chocolate. And I'll never, ever forget that dog. We're hunting a little bitty uh, river that's literally only 15, 20 yards wide. But, you know, those ducks would come in, fly down it, boom, 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 boom. And you didn't, there's cliff banks on both sides. You're hunting with these cottonwoods. And this dog is driving up the bank, picking up birds, disappearing for three minutes and then coming back with birds. And, I mean, and this is a dog that's had five or six, three at least seasons i can't remember that dog's name but it's on the tip of my tongue uh but dogs like that to me were always stand out and of course it's taken several seasons and stuff but they're generally dogs that are quiet they're very very astute to their surroundings they they really soak things up and you never ever know they're na- they're there until the name is called and they, they hit the water hard for man. What, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. How do you think the average person, because right now we're talking about the unaverage guy or gal that owns these dogs that picks up thousands. And, and how I equate it to people, and maybe you'd agree with me, or, or I'd ask you to go into a deeper for you, but every bird, a dog retrieves in training in training is a life experience work the wind mark the fall area then work the wind you know go to that area work the work it out da, 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 da. how they run a blind how they do this how they do that that's in training but every one of those birds is a life experience that helps develop them into a better dog same with hunting you know a crippled that keeps diving on them a cripple that goes down and tucks up underneath some roots 
or into the cattails and just clings on and it's just right there, but it, they just can't dig it out. And then they finally do. That's a life experience. And it makes them better for the next time that they come across that scenario. You know, for the average person that doesn't kill a thousand birds a season or hunt with guys that kill a thousand birds a season for their dog to get picked up. But the guy who kills 60, 80, 20, what are some things that you incorporate into your training that's a little unorthodox to recreate real hunting scenarios as best as you can? Well, um, one of the main things I do is a lot of live duck training. And I mean, we'll hackle these wings, we'll hackle legs, we'll, we'll just, so we do a lot of live duck training where we're, we're, throwing a bird to the pond and we're and letting the dog literally chase in a shallow pond that the duck can still die but they can't fly and literally we'll sit there and watch them chase a duck for five to ten minutes till they're wore out and and a lot of them you know it takes them a while to finally figure it out but those kind of experiences you know uh, people that don't get to hunt their dogs a lot their dogs need those kind of experience. So we'll use live ducks a lot. We'll make sure that they have no issues uh, picking them up. We'll make sure that, you know, because you get a lot of crippled sailors and stuff like that. A lot of dogs run out there on their first one, and they're like, hey, this dog, this thing's still flopping around. I ain't grabbing this, you know, right. and they'll come back. Right. I mean, and, and so you've got to make sure that those things don't happen. So a lot of live ducks goes on in our training. And something else we do, is and you can watch a lot of my live feeds, especially this time of year. I start doing it more and more and more. Is I'll uh, it, on a single mark, I'll unload the gun, and uh, I'll I'll shoot three poppers, and I mean things like that are really important. And and I may shoot twice before the bird comes out. I may shoot three times as it you know getting to the arc and falling and and hitting the water and it's just yep. uh that extra gunfire is a big deal and it teaches the dog to stay focused in on the spot especially when they get geared into one for one kind of shooting uh well you know one shot equals one mark that sort of sure. thing you start shooting multiple times they start head swinging well this helps keep them you know locked in on it and a ton of calling a lot more calling and those things right there i think help dogs a lot more uh to uh, the different experiences and of course you can't cover cover all genres but sure. there's you know if i know this dog hey this dog's gonna be hunt in in a hide a lot i'll make sure before that dog goes home that i put the you know try to at least get them ready for the situation the best you can but because you can only still do so much that's all there is to it as uh, as a trainer you can only do so much that that owner has to do when they take their dog hunt for that first time and make sure that that dog has a very very positive experience because trust me a little bit of negativity on those first two or three hunts can curtail that dog's abilities for a long time and even kill a lot of the training that you've instilled in dogs. I mean, you, you get a big old goose 
that you know comes down hard on a boykin <laughs> it's it's going to ruin that dog forever you know what i mean that's all there yep. is to it and yep. i mean and and those sorts of things you know i'm so i'm pretty doggone strict about what i tell folks about their dogs and how to handle situations and uh but we try, we do the best we can and then it's going to be up to them because no matter what we can only as pro trainers we can only do so much and then when when they finally do have their dogs and they're taking them where you know i mean i'm and i know you're the same way and every other trainer says listen this is dog's first year hunt only two people two maybe three if you put this dog in a blind with eight guys the, the first eight or ten hunts or you know with or first half of the season I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to hit you in the head with a stick, you know, that sort of thing. Because I mean, it's just one of those hunts can ruin a dog forever. And it's, uh, I know I kind of got off topic, but no, you nailed the topic. Well, the thing about it is we can only do so much, you know, live birds and lots of shots and lots of calling and, and just try to mimic best with the decoys and there's only so much that we can do, but the the real weight of of making sure that your dog, all the screws and bolts and stuff that we've tightened and tweaked and done and got this dog to where it's at, everything still rests on the shoulders of the owner handler uh, going went on those first few hunts. And to tell you the truth. Uh, well, today I hunted a client's dog on Arkansas's tail season opened up this morning. I hunted a client's dog that I thought might have some issues and I wanted to take this dog on its first hunt. Now we didn't have him, but we killed enough to where I put uh, this dog on several birds and I made sure this dog had a great experience on its, on its first hunt. Opening morning, the dove season, I brought a dog on its first hunt. And I made sure that dog had a great experience. And so far this year, I've taken four different dogs on their first hunt, trying to make sure that those dogs had a great experience because it worries the hell out of me. Yeah. Some of these dogs, because I've had some pretty awesome dogs ruined by the first two or three experiences that they've had you know, hunting and let's and it, walk through it, some of those. Let's walk through some of those bad experiences so that people can make sure that they don't put their dog in that predicament. Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the main number one is, is taking your dog and putting them in a, uh, uh, taking them on a hunt where the dog is in a box or hidden away from everything with three to four gunners in there shooting in every direction where the dog can't, see what's going on so if you're hunting in a, a kind of a closed pit or a big blind and the dog can't see out can't see the ducks can't see the working can't see who's shoot can't see who's calling and you start blaring guns and shooting and calling and all that that gun goes off vitals liable to be in houston texas from michigan <laughs> i mean that's all there is to it they're going to there and and you'll run that dog forever I mean, that's all there is to it. That's the number one thing. Uh, and, and, and can I break so that down just a little bit more, Freddie? 
Well, okay. So to break it down is, is you got to always make sure that, you know, the dog can see well what's going on, can see where the calling's happening, what's going and, and learn. I mean, they got to learn to watch these birds and all that kind of stuff. So they have to be able to see everything. So always limit how many hunters you have. You as a owner handler of the dog need not even carry your weapon. I mean, not, I, I say that so that you won't be tempted to use it, but you should hang your gun up at least unloaded and just point at ducks and help your dog see what's going on. Make sure they're sitting back kind of a little bit behind everywhere where they can see what's going on and, and learn what's going on because you've given them somewhat the tools to understand, look out in the field and watch the mark, the gunfire means bird falls and we'll go over and we'll pick it up. But, they start hearing a shot of here and a shot over there and a quacking over here. In fact, they, they're looking around and stuff. So it's, it's all a learning experience. So the number one thing to me is always two to three hundred, one to two hunters max is, is my preferred, but two to three at most have them back where they can see everything and you work the dog. That's, that's the way it, you don't even need to worry about calling. You don't even need to worry about shooting. You just sit back and, and work the dog and help the dog learn that experience. Not just one hunt, not just two hunt, but the first half of season. And if you see things clicking, then it's time for you to maybe shoot a bird and then see what's going on. Yeah. See how your dog handles them. You know, you don't put them in situations with a bunch of other dogs. You don't take them, you know, everybody wants to take the dog. You don't take a new dog on a three dog hunt. That's all there is to it. Matter of fact, uh, you know, if I know I'm going on a three dog hunt, I'll, uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll skip out. Two's my maximum <laughs> number. But, I agree. Um, uh, but the, the first thing is, is that low numbers of hunters and put the dog back. Second biggest rule is always make sure that you take that dog on a hunt that is within that dog's capabilities. So if, if your dog is a, a single marking dog and hasn't, and, and, and done a lot of steel pond work and stuff, you don't take that dog on the mighty white river where the current is moving eight to 12 miles per hour and the dog is swimming, you know, 200 yards downstream and having to hit the woods around the bend and, and come, you cannot take the dog or something like you take, you hunt the dog within the realm of its abilities. You don't take it, you know, to some kind of big crazy hunt. You start them off soft and you start them easy. So always bear that in mind and, and well within that dog's ability. Now, now I have a question on how many times uh, do you do that? Like if we have the, our first dog on the first hunt sort of thing, like, is that after the first hunt ready to roll or do you usually try and really ease them into it and get a few different simple? Well, you want to ease them, you, you, you want to ease them into it. I mean, it's yeah. like anything, you know, adding numbers of hunters, you know, about eight or 10 hunts in. Okay, let's add another hunter, see how things go. And then, and, and you just kind of, by as the season goes, you kind of watch your dog and its abilities. And if you see dogs struggling with swimming, you, you get to know current rivers are out. You know, you can't get in a bunch of current. If your dog's having uh, issues uh, 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 with 
which number three to me is cold weather. A young dog, you cannot and do not want to hunt when when it's cold. That's all there is to it. Uh, you'll you'll want to watch your dog. If you start shivering, you want to get that dog as warm as you can, especially if it's the first season. Get that dog as warm as you can, as quick as possible, and then call it good. Make sure that all those experiences are great and not a lot. You know, bring bumpers. If it's a boring hunt, bring something to keep your dog halfway in the hunt with a retrieve here and there. But if it's cold, you know, bring the, the tools to keep them warm, whether it's heater and, and a chamois cloth and that sort of thing. I mean, it's a big deal. Even my older dogs, I make sure, you know, my dogs, a lot of northern guys say, man, your dog's a wuss, you know. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's 40, 40 degrees. Most of that's cool here in Arkansas, but it gets down into 20. I've got them son of a gun's a heater, you know. And, I mean, right. that they're just used to it. Now, of course, the boys that hunt further north, their dogs are a little bit more acclimated. But still yet, once it gets down to 10 you know, single di- ten degrees, single digit and ten degrees. You better have a heater for even those patriarchs. And then, but a young dog, uh, fifty degrees, forty five. You're starting to push it. You know, especially if they, it's a good hunt and your dog's doing a lot of swimming, because they will get cold quick. It's interesting you say that. We always keep a chamois in the blind bag, and always try and keep the dog out of the water until they have to get that first retrieve and then try and dry them off as good as we can. And just, you got to pay attention to the dog. Have to. Pay oh yeah. No doubt about it. Let's say, let, all right, let's, let's tweak it now. Bucket list hunt for so many people, including me and Kevin is coming to Arkansas for a flooded timber hunt. Can you do the best you can to describe what it's like and maybe even like the like story really shifting gears? Yeah, I know, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Uh, but it's, it's well, like, I just, I've never gotten to do it. We came to Arkansas one time and the flood timber was, you know, not peak. And so we were in uh, Jonesboro and we were hunting flooded rice. Um, and so it was like a mild disappointment that we just didn't get that timber hunt that we always dreamed of. Can you kind of the allure of it, the, the, the stories behind it and what makes it special to you? Well, I mean, green timber hunting is 100% about the look. In other words, there's nothing like hunting in the timber with big, tall oaks all around you and those dogs, the the ducks, excuse me, the ducks breaking the end of those trees and just dropping straight down. And I mean, and they literally will drop straight down. I mean, and, you know, being set up right and having been on the X, of course, is always important anyway hunt but just doing everything right and working those birds making them take turn the corners and all those things and then have them finally commit and break over the edge of that is i mean it's to me it's the the climax of duck hunting i mean they're 
the the look when they break the top of them trees and start start dropping down it just does not get any better what what does a dog need to do and to overcome the challenges of a timber hunt from a retriever standing retriever training standpoint you know we i'd look at that as you know these birds are coming straight down unless they're landing 15 feet away which maybe they are again i've never done it but let's say you cripple one and it sails off a little bit you know there's so many trees in the way of watching that mark fall how are you handling dogs in those challenging circumstances well, I mean, quite to be honest with you, you know, anytime I catch a dog on a on a bird that that isn't in the hole, that where I'm, as soon as I catch that dog, I'm starting to follow that dog because most time timber is knee deep water, and I'm I'm keeping I'm watching that dog the whole time. I, I won't ever catch the dog to where I can't see him when hunting the timber like that because. Trust me, they get out there, they get hung up on briars and all kinds of stuff, and you'll never see them again. And, I mean, so you've got to keep an eye on them. And I've followed dogs three, 400 yards while they chase the cripple and that sort of thing. And then I've also, you know, that's uh, all my dogs when hunting, they wear an e-collar. I see that, I hate to say it, but some ducks get away, and I see that duck you know, getting in the stuff that there where it's going to give that dog issues, a really thick, uh, thicket of, uh, briars and that sort of thing. Tweet, 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 tweet. And, you know, if the dog doesn't come off of him, I'm going to, I'm going to nick him here yeah, and that sort of thing. So, but the, the, the training aspect of it, you can only do so much. You just get them used to that. First of all, you got to have a dog that won't break because then ducks coming straight down, they're plopping all around you, that sort of thing within, Usually the first tree, 15, 20 yards. Everything's inside the decoys. But, you know, of course, you'll have those cripples and stuff get out and then fly out. She'll pop one. It'll land 50, 60 yards out there, that sort of thing. And dogs, like I said, they 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 learn to mark off of splashes and plops, what we call plops. He heard it plop, you know. And it, <laughs> and I can tell you how many times uh, a dog here plop, you know, everyone hit out there. Because the funny thing, is those dogs that's hunted a lot in the timber, let's say, or hunted a lot, period. You can have 10, 12 ducks come down, four shooters, and you shoot like six of them. 99% of the time, the dog marks the last bird down. The rest of them, boom, 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 boom. You know, there's the, all the early shots, boom, 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 boom. They're hitting there, flashing back. But that last one's the one that dog always keys on. Yep. And it, and even if they lose sight of it, plop, they hear it. And nine times out of ten, unless it's just a, a really wounded duck making a lot of splat, they'll drive through every daggum dead duck in the decoys to go get that one. And they just they just learn that, and and that's that's great to watch. But that's something you can't train except for a little bit i know people have have watched my live feeds and i do with a lot of what i call hidden falls where dogs only see an arc and then they hear that splash or they hear that thud mm -hmm. and they they have to learn to judge 
them birds by by that that sound and just that look yep. and go to that area and establish hunt. And it, that kind of makes gets them ready for that. But still, the only way they get really good at it is a lot of ducks. <laughs> Killing a lot of ducks in front of them. <laughs> or you, and you can, you can tell them. You can tell the ones. You know, they're saying the thief, he's, he's about as good teal and buck and boss and Ike and Casey and all of them. You know, Asia is awesome in the timber. And, uh, and it's just, you know, they're just there. It's once they get to that point, it's it, it's awesome to watch them. But going back to your original question, what you know, what's it like really watching it? ducks coming in there? It's there's nothing like it. There's no other experience. And don't get me wrong, I love watching big water duck, big water ducks commit to a spread. I love watching, you know, rice field ducks come in. I love watching big hawkers coming in on the Canadian prairies and Dakotas and Nebraska and whatever, and just all the different types of hunting styles, whether, you know, hunting a willow thicket or big blind or hunting, you know, A-frames, whatever. All of it's great, but, you know, there's just something about finishing ducks in the timber, and there's very, very few places you can do that in this country. You know, Tennessee has a little bit of timber. Louisiana has a little bit of timber. Mississippi has a little bit of timber. And Texas is a little bit of timber. But Arkansas, you can take all that timber and add it together. And Arkansas's got that much in here. Cool. But, boy, I tell you what, it's a rat race. It's going to oh, be yeah. a rat race. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that that's could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't even need to go there. No. Uh, do you have a bucket list duck that you would like to go and hunt a place or a bucket list duck? No, not really. I mean, I'm not one of those that, man, I wish I could do this or that or wish that. I mean, I've been fortunate, like I said early in the show, that I've been fortunate enough to hunt a lot of different places, see a lot of different stuff fall you know, and, and not only ducks, but, you know, I filmed a ton of turkeys, a ton of whitetails, a ton of bears, a ton of caribou, elk, you name it. I've, I, if, 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 you know, if it's huntable, I've pretty much filmed it and watched it die or shot it or whatever. And, uh, and I've never been one that said, man, you know, I, I'm in such and such, I need to go shoot this, or I need, you know, we're in New Zealand, I need to go shoot a stag. I've never been that one. I've just always kind of been, you know, Give me a teal and a mallard, and I'm pretty much happy. <laughs> That's awesome. I think out of all the ducks, a mallard duck, maybe a black duck too, just because they're weary. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they're weary, um, but they still work a call in your spread like a mallard. Um, those just still, no matter what we've hunted and, and shot, I just love love how they work oh yeah and i mean you know and if we're talking about you know how ducks work and all that i mean you're right you know those ducks that work to call and you can bend them and that sort of thing man they're awesome and but you know I, i'm no goose caller i've seen i've been on some goose hunts uh, some guys with some spec calls and seen them turn a flock of 500 you know mm. and and work and there's art to it and each one of those things are just, or each one of those types of different hunts or hunting 
has its own reward as far as, you know, a hunter or a spectator. And uh, it's just kind of, I know a lot of people, I don't want to sound biased because I love all of it, but I know a lot of people kind of get hooked into this one kind of hunting or this one kind of way of doing things when in fact they, they should experience a little bit of all of it and it'll make you appreciate your own style or maybe let, really appreciate other people, you know, uh, the, the, their style or the, the other hunting methods or styles, I should say. Sure. If yeah, that no, makes sense. It does. I got a bad yeah. habit of rambling. No, you're, dude, you're doing fantastic and I'm enjoying every minute of it. You're a good storyteller. Um, one of the things that I enjoy is, is I enjoy dabbling in the different genres and the different niches of, and we were before the podcast, I was telling you about grouse and woodcock hunting. And, you know, for me, it, it shuts my brain off of being a retriever trainer and I can just go take a hike through the woods with my dog. And that offers me a different outlet and I enjoy that. And I enjoy learning about the habitat that those, you know, grouse and woodcock live in. Um, I enjoy field goose hunting, but it's probably my least favorite. Um, you know, I'm a little more on edge with the dog because if they do break and I'm not too proud to say that, you know, my dogs will break once in a while if they want it bad. I enough, guarantee yeah, I guarantee it too. You know, if they want it bad enough, if they're good enough of a dog, it's not if, it's when. And I'm That's always it. on edge on a, a layout blind or pit blind goose hunt where, and, and I've just, I, like I said, I'm not too proud. I'll stake them out now because we had one incident and it was a close call and my best dog of dogs, my, my, my favorite dog ever. And, and she took off right screaming across the entire pit in front of you know four or five or six guns and it's like not worth it stake them out but i'm always on edge on those so i just feel like because i'm the dog guy i can't enjoy it as much as maybe someone who doesn't bring their own dog um i i well, enjoy there's a little bit of that too yeah but I those mean, are there is, but it's kind of like this I, I but i mean to me I would not be a waterfowler if it still like I am now, if it wasn't for the dogs. And I mean, and uh, there's just something about watching dogs work. And I mean, it's, and that's why I loved it so much behind the camera, just watching the dogs and the fluidity and watching the lights kick on and watching them. You know, I could tell watching from the line, you know, 300 yards back and, and zooming in, I could tell that dog when that, was looking at the spot he needed to go to before the handler or the contestant kicked their dogs off and just love watching that and when it during the hunt it during the hunt it was even more so but the the just the love of watching that dog but the thing about dogs to me is and, and don't get me wrong there's some dogs that i'm like golly why's that dog hunting because there's nothing worse than a bad a bad dog will make a great hunt bad yep and a and an awesome dog will make a mediocre hunt awesome that's just all there is to it and uh and there's but thing about it is 
you also with young dogs, a lot of people don't understand, well, this is a young dog. With young dogs, you got to have a sense of humor when you go hunting with them. That's all there is to it. You got, you're teaching, you know, you got to have a sense of humor and laugh at 99% of what goes on in that morning. And you don't take a dog like that with a whole bunch of buddies that are paying $500 a day on a goose hunt. You don't, or a duck hunt. You don't, you do, you, that's the dog that you take, you know, with one or two buddies on your wood duck hunt behind the house. You know what I mean? That's something. And, uh, and, and I know I'm getting off topic. No, you're, you nailed it. Well, the thing about it is, you know, all dogs, I love watching them all work. I may be grading some of them out and maybe, you know, a little bit thinking about, well, you need to do this or that and that. And I, and, and I get it, what you're talking about 100% about there's times out there when you got a lot of people that you worry about your dog's safety because a dog's not looking out for its safety whatsoever. All it cares about is going to, you know, I mean, that's what we breed them for. Go as hard as I can, get that bird to come back. And, Stuff can happen in a split second, stuff that you can't take back. And, you know, and that's what's keeping you on pins and needles. And I felt it many, 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 many a time. And I've stepped away from situations. I said, you know what? This is a little bit much for me and my dog or that dog. Hey, you don't need to take your dog here. Hey, why don't we go? Why don't we, why don't we uh, cable your dog in, you know, to the stand, that sort of thing. And, you know, and try to be as gentle. You always got to be that way, though, because first and foremost, you got to think about the dog, and then you got to think about the others around. So just make it as safe as you can, and it's the only way you're going to enjoy it. One bad experience can lead to a lifetime of haunting hunts. In other words, you always worry about it happening again. Yeah. One of the things I tell people, as soon as you take the responsibility, like to my clients, right? As soon as you buy this dog and you train it yourself or we train it, you are no longer the shooter, right? And I'm talking, I'm, I'm using general lingo. We're all hunters. So that's the most general. Then you go to the blind and you got the guys that don't know how to duck call, don't know anything about decoys. They're a shooter. All they come for is shooting. Then you got your decoy guy and your duck call guy. (laughs) Once you bring the dog into the mix and you own that dog, you are now the dog guy. You are not a shooter first. You are not a duck caller first. You are nothing first. You are the dog person. And your your job is to make the dog safe, enjoyable to hunt with, obedient, and fun and successful and teach don't lose your patience don't be the a-hole in the duck blind that's screaming and yelling at his dog and i'm raising my hand right now to kevin saying i've done it and i feel like as i've gotten older i've been much 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 better about it much better about it where you said bring humor into it when they make mistakes teach them look light on it they didn't do it on purpose they're learning um but but be the dog guy or gal. You're not worrying about you're pulling up on the duck first. 
you're not worried about saying take them and beating everybody to the shot. You're worried about making that dog steady, make sure it marks the birds, make sure it's being a, a, a good citizen in the duck blind. And then, by the way, it's being successful on doing its new job, whether it's one year old or five years old. So if you're the responsible person taking the dog on the hunt, that's your job. And, it, and when it goes great, it's the most, most rewarding thing and adds so much to the hunt, like you said. But if you are the dog person, plus you're the main shooter and duck caller and decoy person, man, it can be a clutter. It ain't going to work. No. It it's ain't going to work. And that's work. where. And, you, I, know. you know, that's one thing. You, you touched on a whole lot of stuff. And that's one thing about the group of guys I hunt with, Echo crew and stuff. I mean, we've hunted together, you know, 20 years. And, uh. I've been doing Echo DVDs, and now we do, you know, just do a lot of social media stuff. But anyway, everybody's got their little click, you know. I mean, you don't even have to worry about who's doing what because you pull up into the hole or wherever we're going, we're doing. Everybody's got their own little thing to do, and 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 it's just kind of second nature. But it's it's good to have a bunch of buddies and communicate like that without ever even saying a word. That's right. Tell me about your most memorable retrieve on a duck hunt. Oh, well, that's, I mean, it's always going to be Teal's retrieve on the Cash River. That last retrieve she made for me. I mean, I I can still remember it to this day. And lined her up, kicked her on a blind, boom. She lined it all the way across the river, holding, shouldering the current all the way across, come back and delivered the bird to me started getting wobbly and died right there next to the blind with me next next to the big blind we were hunting in so it don't get no more memorable than that no no was it drake mallard it was a hen mallard Yeah, matter of fact, the, the guy that, that that one of my good friends, Todd Beeble, he's a taxidermist. He mounted that duck uh, in a in a one of them dog statues. Yep. Her last retrieve. Yep. Dang. What a great Still dog, man. But that's that's always going to be my you know that I've seen a lot of great retrieves out there and five, 600 yards and all that kind of mess. But of course, you know, you're not ever going to beat that one no matter what. So, no, well, Freddie, good stuff still though. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's, it's the most memorable for the most memorable reason. I mean, that dog went everywhere with you, picked up everything you asked it to pick up and, and to go out in style doing what she and you loved is is something you'll take to the grave exactly and if people want to see that there's a tribute to teal uh all you do is just go to my youtube page uh freddie king and then just type in uh uh one more chance or if for one more chance Mm -hmm. and uh, that video should pop up Oh, maybe what we can do is figure out our social media on our end and see if we can link that up somehow um, via the podcast and in our show notes or something like that so that people can click on it and watch that. 
and we'll put it on our social media too because you know that's pretty special freddie tell everybody where they can tell everybody where they can find you and the the old trt and how they can sign up and and be more a part of your community my friend well, uh, simply just go to www.theretrievertrainer. It's got to be theretrievertrainer.com and just make yourself a membership. Uh, 60 bucks a year. Uh, it's a recurring membership. Uh, you can cancel anytime you want. It's very simple. Just every time you log in, there's a big deal that says cancel membership. So you just click on that if you want to cancel. And, and literally we're at about 1500 videos. Uh, you can actually start watching videos today and watch videos for about four hours a day. And in a year still <laughs> wouldn't get them good. Couldn't watch That's a all. Great selling so, point. I mean, it, well, I mean, it is literally, I mean, it's, there's that much content there. And, uh, the great thing about it is it just so, so many different aspects of trying, but simply, uh, w- once you've done that, if you have Facebook, then throw me Freddie King, a private message through private messenger pm just you know like we started uh, corresponding and uh uh i'll get you in our private group i'll help you get started on the website we'll talk about your dog and as long as you stay in contact with me and need me i'm there 100 percent. i mean 60 bucks a year you'll not get that kind of attention now this year we've been kind of a lot going on so we haven't been able to do things but once we do have free seminars we have it this year like i said we've had a lot going on but in the past we've had uh aiken evan graham seminars i mean i'm all about getting other pros in here and showing you their methods and talking training but all that's 100 free to members uh we do giveaways we're going to give away a duck hunt here pretty soon we uh it's the only program that gives back 100 to its members that's that's all there is to it but Cool. Quite simply, just hit me up. I'll get you in the group. We'll get to rolling, and my gosh, we'll make you and your pup the very best thing possible. I will guarantee it. I love it. Freddie, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join me and Kevin on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, my friend. I hope to see you soon. I hope to you know, possibly even share a duck blind with you and, and watch these dogs work. So, um is if there's anything else you'd like to add here in the end, just uh, feel free and let it rip. Well, I just, you know, just want to wish everybody the very best upcoming season. Take your time, enjoy your dogs, enjoy your family. Cause trust me, it's dog's life is short. Family time is short. And the best thing to do is just enjoy every minute that you're out there and don't be so serious. Uh, take, you know, and like I said, Take everything with a grain of salt and be ready to laugh at everything. And I promise you, life's a lot, lot, lot better and smoother that way. Guys, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We did too. Thank you so much for being a part of it. And we'll stay in touch. Be well. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this dog season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you.
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Birdshot Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Birdshot Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Birdshot Podcast today. Thank you.